I have two major challenges that I'm dealing with today. N number one, to end the podium. I'm on this scooter and there's at least a 50% chance that I'm going to fall. That's one. The other challenge I'm faced with is technology, which is not my friend. Um, especially having been in Africa for quite some time, technology tends to scare me. When I walked in and got a phone, I came back from Senegal. I walked into Walmart, I looked at the lady and I said, I need the cheapest phone you have with the cheapest plan you have. And she shows me this phone and she says, what do you want to be able to do? I said, make phone calls. And she said, do you want the data plan? And I went, what's that? And then she proceeds to tell me and I get the cheapest phone and I get home and I'm looking at the phone and Mark says, let me see it. And Mark's my 17-year-old, and he knows everything there is to know in the world about technology. And he grabs my phone, and he flip, quickly flips it, and his keyboard pops out. And I'm like, oh, where'd that come from? So that's my life in technology. But uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dan Mulet. I'm a missionary in Senegal in West Africa. Had the pleasure of serving with James and Sherry this year. And uh, wow, did we have some cool things happen this year. And I want to share with you just quickly about my family, what's going on. My boys are back there, Ryan and Mark. Ryan is going into his junior year in college and working to be a fireman or forest ranger, some combination. Mark is a senior at the Car Academy and also eventually probably headed into fire science. My wife, Patty, is in Wisconsin. And she's taking care of her parents. Her parents are really struggling. Her mother has had several open heart surgeries, has very advanced insulin dependent diabetes, is going blind, and many other things. And her father has a double whammy. He has hepatitis C, and for the last two years has been steadily declining because of Parkinson's. So she's spending her time with her parents. Me, you can see, I'm having fun. <laughs> I spent most of the year at the car, wandering around, limping, and when I got back here, we found out very quickly that uh, I had destroyed my shoulder and torn the cuff. So they had to go in and do reconstructive shoulder surgery, and at the same time, I had to have reconstructive foot surgery. So that was just 12 days ago, but here's the glory of God. Good stuff. So I got to thank you all. You have been a, a very wonderful supporting church, both prayer-wise and financially. There is just simply no way we can make it without that support. And it's a true blessing. Before I share the message with you today, I want to share with you just an incredible breakthrough that we had in Senegal this year. Uh, Senegal is a country of about 14 million people. In the Dakar area is around 4 million people, which is slightly larger than the size of our Okay, So it's a lot of people packed in. Very, very tight. It's also a country that's 92% Muslim. Now the blessing behind this is they believe very much in the freedom of worship and the freedom of faith. So they allow the Christians to be there and openly share the gospel. 
But as with any other Muslim country, it's some pretty tough going. They don't just easily and readily accept the gospel. So I want to share with you a video. We can start that. I think you have to control that. I hope so. I have no idea what's happening. Okay. So I'm just going to talk through it. There's no sound. I want to introduce you to a great friend of mine. His name is Pastor Pop. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. If it doesn't, we'll wing it. So his name is Pastor Pop, and he lives in an area called Norfois in Senegal. It's a suburb, kind of like Arvada is to Denver. And Pastor Pop is one of a handful, literally, of national pastors. There probably isn't 75 of them around the country. And they all have small churches. And I ran into him through language study, and one day he said to me, he said, uh, can you help me build the church? And I went, uh, sure, what does that mean? You know, talk to me about this. And he said, well, we're meeting in my living room right now. And we're busting out of my living room. We've got about 18 people. We don't know where to go, and we need some help. I said, what do you need? He said, I need to build a roof. So I talked with the students from Faith and Christian Academy, and they came out last November, and they put a roof over his patio. And all of a sudden, he became a real church. And he's meeting outside, and we're singing and everything. And that's when the persecution began. He was having bricks thrown through his windows. There was foul words that were put on the outside of his house. The imams, the local religious teachers for, the, for Muslim, were contacting the gendarme, the local police, and they were saying, we want this man out of here. He's spreading the gospel. And no matter what Pastor Pop did, he went to the police because bricks went through his windows. They completely ignored him. And they said, well, here's the deal. You're a Christian. Leave the neighborhood. And this will stop happening. And the persecution wouldn't stop. And one day, him and I were sitting there, and we were praying, and we were talking, and I said, what if we bring Operation Christmas Child into the neighborhood? He said, What's, what do you think it will do? Will it cause more harm? Will it cause more hurt? Will it be a blessing? Will it be a curse? And he said, you know what? Let's try it. And he walked around, and he went door to door for three weeks and signed up over 500 kids to receive these boxes. And the day we were to deliver was the day before Easter. And two weeks before, one of the plans that he did, two weeks ahead of time, is he went and sat down with the imams and he said to the imams, hey, I want to bring these boxes in to bless your children. And they went, great, we have our blessings. And then I, we, we went to the gendarme and he talked to the local police and said, we want to bring these boxes in. And they said, you know what, we have our blessings. Two days before over two-thirds of the people that signed up for the boxes dropped out. Because the imams found out the purpose of Operation Christmas Child was to share the gospel. So Pastor Pop gathered together his church and they started wandering in the neighborhood next door. And they signed up everybody. And the day before Easter, we delivered 500 boxes. The next day, he saw 16 new people show up at church. The imams came to his house Easter afternoon, sat down with him, talked with him, told him, and I quote, this is the only church that has ever done anything good for a neighbor. And they literally got on the phone, called his landlord, told his landlord, don't you ever get pop out of this 
since that day. Since that day, that church is now sitting at 48 people. They're going to do a baptismal service in the parks. That's the power. A simple thing like this. That you folks may be engaged in Operation Church Christmas Child like so many churches across the world. When those boxes show up, it opens up doors that we can never open up on when you look at the faces of these children, you can see Jesus pine up. And it blows your mind when you get to hand a child that box. When they open it, you find boy or mittens. That's always funny when you find mittens in Africa. <laughs> you know, a teenage boy with a whistle. With, with a toy for a four-year-old. The amazing things that it does. And so now we, now we have a house church that's busting at the seams. And as I left Senegal, Pop was saying, hey, next year can they come back and finish the other side of the patio? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I think that can happen. The walls that were broke down, the significance of it, when, when the imam teacher of Islam begs for the church in the That's the glory of God. And because of what you folks do, the support you provide us, these are the kind of projects that we're able to bring into Senate. It's the difference that we're able to make through God's ability. So I wanted to share that with you. To let you know that even though it's a country that's 92% Muslim, maybe because of this it's 91 and 9 tenths. <laughs> but the gospel is going forward. It's going forward despite the resistance. It's going forward to Thank you. Now, let, let me, I want to share a message with you. And this, this message uh, comes out of my own battles in the last couple of years. So in many ways, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not going to share anything fancy or new with you today. But what I'm hoping to do is remind you of the great power of our God. And I truly mean the great power. So the title of my message, and this will sound a little funny to you, but it's my Jesus is no wimp. And he's not. Because I don't know about your life, but I'm, I'm standing right here, kind of, with a cast on one foot, a shoulder that's barely operating, but I'm still standing here in front of you, and I'm willing to bet I'm the first person that's ever been up here on the scooter, right? Yeah, all right. So at least I'm first in one area in my life. But I want to share a little bit of a PowerPoint with you. I think I can figure out how to look at this. I noticed this one day. I, I typed into Google, I just typed in Jesus. And I came up with thousands of pictures. Way more than I was willing to go through. But I started to notice things like this. Look at the face of Christ here. Does he not look worried? How does this thing work? Look at this. Did I skip like 50? I don't know. The eyes are sunken. There's a sense of worry. 
in many ways he looks weak. You know what? He looks defeated. He looks humiliated. As I started to look at these kind of pictures, I started to say, look at his eyes are not back in the socket. His flesh looks like it's almost peeling off. He doesn't look healthy. And I started to think to myself, I wonder if that's one of the things that actually repels Christianity. Because when we see Christ in the media, Oftentimes, do you see a strong power of God there? I don't. It really began to bother me. Because I went, you know what? My God is not weak. My God is a strong power. And when I think of Christ, this is not what I think of. I mean, yes, he was very humble. Yes, he was very peaceful. Yes, he was very kind. But did you know it that it said he came here with a sword? He came here to save us. And no wimp will ever do that. It takes a lot more. And so I started to set out on my own little... West. And I said, here's the deal. I'm going to do some research on this because I want to figure out what Christ was really like. And I want to share with you some of the things I found out. First of all, Isaiah 53, 2 tells us that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Which kind of means that he was pretty average. Kind of looked like you or me. Probably better than me, that's for sure. But then, if you read Psalm 45, 2, it says, He was the most excellent of men, since God had blessed him forever. Now, I don't know if that means anything physical. It certainly says something about his character and his mentality. But I wasn't real satisfied with that. I said, you know, there's got to be something that tells us more about Christ. And as I dig and dig and dig through the Bible found very little on his appearance, but I ran across this. Um, there's a letter that was sent out from a Roman consulate Lentulus to the Roman Empire Tiberius. And here's what he said. At the time, he was actually in Judea at the time of Jesus' trial and, and crucifixion. And he writes about Christ, and he describes him like this. He says, Jesus has a noble and lively face with fair and slightly wavy hair. Black and strong curving eyebrows, intense penetrating blue eyes, and an expression of wondrous grace. His nose is rather long, his beard is almost blonde, although not very long. His hair is quite long and has never seen a pair of scissors. His neck is slightly inclined so that he never appears bitter or arrogant. His tan face is the color of ripe corn and well proportioned. That one's stomach. I'm not sure what ripe corn is. It gives the impression of gravity and wisdom, sweetness and goodness. And it's completely lacking in any sign of anger. I thought to myself, that's a little bit better physical description. But I got a feeling there's something more to this. So 
like decided, okay, we need to to analyze this common sense thing. I'm not sure how good my common sense is, but I think it works out. And then also, maybe what else can we find in the Bible? So I got to thinking about myself and said, well, Christ was a carpenter. Okay, do we have any carpenters in this room? Yeah. Look at your carpenters. Have you ever seen a carpenter that wasn't pretty muscular? Carpenters are tough dudes. And I think back to Christ's time. I mean, they spend their whole day and they're using axes and chisels and bows and handsaws and mallets. They're pounding, they're hammering, they're in the hot sun. They're working like dogs. I have yet to see a carpenter that wasn't pretty well built. They're physically strong specimens. And I can imagine at the end of the day, after Jesus had been working all day in the hot sun, when he came into that house to get his hot shower, he was grimy and dirty, and he had dirt under his nails, and he was grungy. Because, you know, my God is in him. And then I got to thinking about, you know, this man recruited fishermen. Now, there probably isn't any longshore fishermen in here, but how many of you have ever seen a longshore fisherman? Okay, come on. Nobody ever watched Most Dangerous Catch on Discovery Channel? Okay, yeah. Have you ever seen a longshore fisherman that was not buff? They're huge. They're strong. They're stronger than the nets that they pull in. These guys are built. And I can speak with some authority on this because I work with a group of people called the Labu. And they are fishermen. And they are solid muscle. And there are times where I get to go fishing with them and they use hand lines. And I'm embarrassed because I'll get a fish on my line and I'm just working like a dog to get in this one fish. And I swear I've got the biggest fish in the ocean. And he gets to the boat and he's this big. And I've just worked like a dog. And yet they're sitting there like this, like nothing's going on. They're moving in those boats to the ocean like, the, like it's nothing. And I think about it and I say, you know, Jesus was amazing. I mean, he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John all while they were fishing. And he was enough of a presence that he walked up and said, come with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they just dropped everything. You honestly think a longshoreman follows somebody who wasn't peace. Then I think about the strength and courage that All of you are familiar with Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'll take a quick drink here. You're familiar with it, right? Okay. Holy Spirit leads Christ into the desert to prepare him for ministry. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights without food, I mind you. And the devil begins to tempt him and he starts at the very lowest, simplest level. Man hasn't eaten for 40 days, let's offer him food. He says, you know, if you are the Son of God, go ahead and change these rocks, these boulders here into bread. And Christ fires back and says, no, uh-uh. Man cannot live on bread alone. Man must live on the Word of God. And then Satan turns to him and he says, you know what, I'm going to take you to the highest point of the temple 
and if just jump off here because you know that God's not going to let you fall. The angels are going to catch you and, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Christ looks at him and he says, no, do not test the Lord your God. And then Satan takes him to the highest peak, the very highest point of the mountain, and he looks at him and says, everything you see can be yours because all you have to do, it's really simple, Jesus, just bow down and worship me. And it's all yours. And I love what Christ says. This to me is the greatest line in the Bible. Get out, Satan! Because at that very moment, Jesus took it to Satan. He put the challenge out there. He laid it out in front of the most dangerous thing in the world, and he says, get out of here, because you don't want to mess with me. And Satan was so ignorant that he didn't believe it. Now you stop and think about that. What kind of courage does it take to look Satan in the eye and say, you might want to back down. Because if you don't, you will lose the battle. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took it straight to him. It was no holds bar. He simply called him out. I can remember a time in my life, I was about 13 years old, and I was very, very sick. I was allergic to just about everything. Everything that I ate set me off. I had all kinds of problems. So the doctors got this bright idea. I've got to tell you, I'm still a little miffed about this. They were going to stick me in the hospital, and they were going to starve me. Okay? So here's the deal. I went 27 days without food. They put an IV in me. No food. They flushed my system completely. I went 27 days until the point where the doctor came in to see me and I stood up and I went straight back and just passed out. And the idea was that they would starve me, flush my system, and then introduce foods one at a time and then shut me down for 48 hours and keep trying foods until they could figure out what I, was, what I could eat and what I could handle. So the first meal they fed me Keep in mind, 13-year-old boy. Beets. I was furious that I was so hungry that I ate like five bowlful. And I think back on it now and I go, Beets? What's that supposed to tell you? I don't know any 13-year-old boys that eat beets. But they fed, they fed me that. And why do I bring that up? Well, it was 27 days for me and I couldn't stand Christ went 40 days and then took on Satan. That's how much stronger he is than I am. And that blows my mind. See, the reason for it is really simple because my Jesus is no wimp. You may remember a time in Mark chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus got off of the boat, stepped onto the shore, and a man with an evil spirit came running from the tombs to him. And he was screaming, and this was just an awesome, evil man. He was so evil that at night he would cut himself on the rocks. He was screaming and yelling and howling at the moon. He scared the villagers. He had become so strong that even chains could not hold him. Yet he came running and threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said, 
Please, Jesus, do not kill me and do not torture me. And Jesus looked at him and he said, What is your name? And the answer is, is profound. Because he said, I am legion. Because we are many. Now I'm not sure if you understand the significance of that. But back in those times, a Roman legion was known to be about 6,000 soldiers. Yet they, were, they referred to themselves as legion. And Jesus' answer was very simple. Fine, go over there, live in them pigs. And then 2,000 pigs ran off the hill into the water and drowned. How frightened do you have to be before you run to your own death? 6,000 of them ran from Christ from nothing more than the sound of His voice. Because my Jesus is no wimp. And I think in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, this is perhaps one of the most famous examples of Christ in the Bible. He's in the temple, and they've turned the temple into a marketplace, remember? And the Bible tells us that he makes a whip, and he begins cracking that whip, and he's flipping over tables, and he's doing all of this, and he says to them, he says, why are you turning my father's house into or, or my father's house into a marketplace? And he begins to just destroy it. And the Bible tells us that in that marketplace there it was full of merchants and soldiers. And what did they do? They ran. Not a single one of them tried to arrest him. Not a single one of them confronted him. They ran. Because my God is no wimp. What about some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Well, Jesus was the original sheep. And he was among a whole lot more wolves than we are today. In verse 28, he says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. Now, I don't know about you, but the problem I have with this that, that statement is that it's my body I'm worried about. <laughs> I mean, look at this. <laughs> and in verse 34, he says this, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. No, I came to bring a sword. Jesus knew what he came for. He came for a war, for a battle for your soul. That's courage. That's because my Jesus is no wimp. And what about the road to the cross? He was tried illegally six different times. He was beaten with a lead whip over and over by Roman soldiers. He had a crown of long thorns shoved on his head. He was spit on. He was beaten with a stick. And after all that, he was forced to carry a cross weighing somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 pounds for about a half a mile. And the experts tell us that the cross beam was probably about 125 pounds. Now, I don't know about you folks, 
but I can put 125 pounds on my back pretty easy. I know both my sons can. That's not too hard. But then to walk a half a mile after being beaten within an inch of your life, I'd be lucky to get up. But he made it to the cross. And he willingly went there. You see, that to me, that's the amazing thing. And when it was all finished, when everything was said and done, he sat there with his arms outstretched on the cross and he reminded the world and his Father that it was finished for all times. Every sin for man, past, present, and future, was covered in that one moment. My Jesus is no wind. My Jesus is and was a warrior. See, he had the strength to conquer and face the worst of foes. He had the courage to face the most incredibly awesome and torturous death. And he had the power and strength to take the sins of the world and put them on his shoulders. And when it was all said and done... He descended to hell and he took the game straight to Satan and when it was all over, he had won the battle. Not Satan. That's my God. Now I don't know where all of you are today, but I know this. I know that everybody in this room has come today and your life has problems in it and challenges in it. Maybe some of those challenges are friendships. Maybe they're marriages. Maybe it's physical things. Maybe you've got a cast on your leg and and a shoulder that's not working. But things aren't always great. But do you know that the problems that we have pale by comparison to what Christ can do and what He can handle? He is so much more capable. See, Matthew 11, verses 29 through 30 says, Take my... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now listen to this. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How strong does Christ have to be when he can say, my burden is light, yet I took all of yours. That's power. We talked about and we sang power in the blood. That's the power in the blood of Christ. It's that He can take any of your problems, any of your challenges, any of your sufferings, and He can put them on His shoulders. And literally what happens when you give your life to Him, when you give, you give Him the opportunity to come into your heart and to be the power in your life, when you struggle... He puts himself between you and the problem and he goes to battle for you. That's a big God. I want to share with you my God. Maybe it'll work. Come on, baby. Maybe you got to turn it on. No, the button's on. That's my God. When everybody else is scared, 
when they cower in the darkness, He's the courage. He's the one holding back the storm so that it doesn't overtake you. How big is my Jesus? He lifts us out of the despair. He picks us up. He carries us. He is power. How big is my Jesus? He's coming back on a horse with a flaming sword and fire coming out of his eyes. He's come for a battle. A battle to save your soul. Not to tickle you. Not to hold you. He came here to beat Satan down. And this is how he did it. That's my Jesus. He is the buffest dude in the world. He went to that cross willingly and snapped it in half and beat Satan for all time for you. That's my Jesus. He's no wimp. And my invitation to you today is that if you have not asked Jesus into your heart, that that's exactly what you do because this power is for you. The Bible tells us that He sends a counselor to live among us. He sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lets you tap into the power of Christ. It lets you pull Christ into your life and allow Christ to fight the battles with you so that you are not alone, but you are fighting in the power of Christ in a God that is so big that we can't even begin to comprehend it. Not only is that power, that is love. And to put Christ into your heart. To let Him fight the battles. Even the little everyday battles. It lets you find joy in even the craziest situations. That's the power you can have when you know Jesus. Because my Jesus is no wimp. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, King Jesus, Holy Spirit, how awesome You are. You alone are God. You alone have all the glory. You alone are all the power. And Lord Jesus, I thank that each and every day that You are indeed our strong tower, that You are no wimp, that You came to fight the battle for us so that we might be saved through the power of Your blood. And Father, what a gift it is. And we graciously, graciously accept that gift. And Father, for those who may be sitting among us today who do not know Jesus, Lord, I just pray that You touch their hearts, You touch their minds, Lord, that you open their eyes to see the power that you have. The power that you came with and the power to save. Father, would they call upon your name. Call you into their hearts. And accept your gift. And Father, for those who do know you. Lord, I pray that they would see your power. That we would just quit living in our life in our own power.
that we would realize that true life comes in knowing you. That true happiness comes in knowing you. And that through your power, Lord, we can conquer anything. Not for us, but for your glory. So Father, please, stay with us. Draw near to us. Change us and revive us. That we may be lights to the kingdom. That we may know you. And that we may realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are no wimp. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.